welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. This is Charles Colazzi, and it is currently Sunday morning, the 25th of February, only 10 months till Christmas. It's the second week of Lent, Sunday of the second week of Lent. And our gospel reading today, pulling it up here is the transfiguration. It's from the gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. I always say when I actually do the reading, more stuff comes to me than what I prepared. I was just thinking about how there are many paintings, beautiful paintings in churches around the world of the resurrection, as well as the ascension, as well as the transfiguration. And sometimes it's hard to tell them apart. It's an interesting thing to consider. Jesus, at this moment of his transfiguration, was not yet in a glorified body. See, when he was glorified, well, when he rose from the dead, his body was glorified. It was a new body. It's a prefiguring of what's going to happen to all of us at the end of time, at the resurrection from the dead, the resurrection of the body. We will be body and soul in glory if we have been deemed worthy of heaven. And if, heaven forbid, we go to hell, then our bodies will join us there too. So Jesus is what we celebrate today is his transfiguration Before his glorification, he experiences glory. It's hope for us. It's also hope for them there at the time. Jesus himself, knowing he's going to suffer, as well as Peter, James, and John, who really don't know what's going on, but they're about to experience the loss of Jesus in the crucifixion. John's going to go all the way with him to the cross. Um... And just a quick mention, we'll certainly be talking about it more during Holy Week. Um, I forget the exact words, but in the gospel, it says that they fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. They they were, uh, what's the word there? Angst, fear, anxiety. There is actually a psychological state where you get so overwhelmed with anxiety, you fall asleep. And according to the words of Scripture, this is what was happening with Peter, James, and John. So it's very, very important that they are strengthened in their faith by witnessing Jesus's glory. But also this is, this is a prefigurement for you and me, not just for the end of time that we will experience 
yeah, a glorified body thanks to Jesus and his death and resurrection. And hopefully we have uh, made that choice for Jesus with the way we've lived our lives so that we are not damned, so that we are saved, even if there is purgatory for us. But see, this reading shows that especially being one with Jesus, we can experience glory in this world. And I just want to talk about that a little bit because sometimes we get so negative, even in our theology, even in our theological, spiritual views, we just focus on heaven and we think that this life is just supposed to be pure misery. And yet we are given a foretaste of eternal life in this life. The Eucharist is that par excellence. By sharing in the Eucharist and being in the state of grace, we can experience a love. We can experience it. We can experience a union. We can experience glory. There are many examples of glory that we can experience in this life, and it's meant to give us hope that this life is not merely a drudgery. Of course, the glory comes from God. Don't get me wrong here. It's not that we can create our own glory. Sometimes we try to do that. We think whether it's through sports, whether it's through inventions, our accomplishments, our technology. We think we're experiencing glory. And yeah, it's true. We advance the human race through our inventions, through our accomplishments. But that is not glory. That is something else. There's a great quote. And of course, I love to just focus on Peter here a little bit. Peter has nothing going on. He has no idea, rather, what's going on. And he says, let us build three tents here. In some gospel readings, it says, let's build three booths. It's as if he's saying, let's build a couple little chapels here. From a Catholic point of view, we always build chapels. And then when it's a really important, famous place, those chapels eventually become basilicas. Like at Guadalupe, like at Lourdes, some of the places, like at Fatima, some of the places where Mary has appeared, a little chapel was built in her honor. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger because so many people come and so many people want to commemorate and be part of that. So Peter wants to commemorate what's going on here, but also he wants to live in it. He doesn't want it to end. He wants to stay there. He's receiving glory and he's basking in that glory. A lot of times I think to myself, kind of a funny line here, uh, Peter's like, let's build three tents. Did you ever hear about the man that thought he was too tense? He uh, woke up one day, he was a TP. The next day he's a wigwam and he goes to the psychiatrist, says, Doc, I don't know. I I wake up one morning, I think I'm a TP. The next day I think I'm a wigwam. I guess I'm schizophrenic. And the doctor says, relax. The problem is you're too tense. Let, let that sink in for a moment. So anyway, sorry, those that you don't, those of you that don't like jokes in a sermon, my apologies. Those of you that do like them, yeah, you've probably heard it before anyway. Anyway, St. Irenaeus from the second century AD uh, wrote a uh, treatise on the Catholic faith that was absolutely brilliant, very, very beautiful. And he's got a lot of really great quotes in there. Uh, he describes, well, one of his major themes is recapitulation. The human race has been recapitulated. In other words, it has a new head. Cap is head. Recap. 
The human race used to be headed by Adam who sinned. Adam was the father of the human race. But now we have a new Adam, and it's Jesus. And there's a new Eve, and her name is Mary. So there is a new head to the human race. And through communion, first of all, the Eucharist, most importantly, the Eucharist, but in our practice of our faith in general as well, we become members of the body. We are recapitulated. We have a new head. The head of our race is no longer sinful Adam. It is now Jesus. It is the the God-man, the Son of God. And now, once again, it just builds up so much hope. And St. Irenaeus is known for a lot of great quotes, but there's two very famous quotes that have to do with this reading today. One is, the glory of God is man fully alive. The other one is, the life of man is the vision of God. Now, I can't possibly get into all the different meanings of these sayings, and I, I can't give you a full theological treatise right now, because there's way too much to say here, and I'm trying to cut this short today. Uh, plus, you know, I'm still trying to get my voice back, but what he's saying, I mean, he's saying so many things. First of all, the vision of God, the life of man is the vision of God. This is our goal. This is our end goal for the apostles that day to see Jesus in glory. They, uh, for a brief moment are experiencing heaven. They're experiencing the fullness of life. They're experiencing, um, salvation in a moment, in a moment, because there's, they still have to go through their lives and they still have to make choices and they don't make the best choices at all times, but they're given the fullness of life in the vision of God. And then that other quote, the glory of God is man fully alive. We were made for glory, even in this world, ladies and gentlemen, we were made for glory. Um, if you've ever read books by John Eldridge, his most scandalous book, I mean, his books are amazing. They're great books on the faith and how to live a good life. He's written mostly for men. Uh, his wife, Stacy Eldridge, wrote a book for women, men's and women's spirituality, great books. But one of his books is called Beautiful Outlaw. And some people have told me they can't get through the book because it's just so scandalous because it's talking about the humanity of Jesus and, and really trying to get into detail about it about how we have to get to know the man Jesus better. St. Teresa of Avila, he doesn't quote her, but I go back to St. Teresa all the time with this. She says, the, the pathway to your salvation is the humanity of Jesus. It's not the divinity of Jesus, because we can't connect with the divinity of Jesus on our own. And through the divinity of Jesus, the divinity of the Father, we can't get to their divinity on our own. And this is getting back to St. Irenaeus. St. Irenaeus, another great quote, quote from him was, the flesh is the hinge of salvation. My flesh coming into contact with Jesus's flesh. In other words, salvation occurs when we receive communion. But it's Jesus's humanity that connects us. It makes this all possible. And so getting back to John Eldridge's book, Beautiful Outlaw, he talks about the humanity of Jesus. It's hard for us who have been raised maybe slightly Jansenist in our Christianity, meaning slightly a little too focused on the soul and not focused enough on the redemption of the body. It's hard for us to read about the humanity of Jesus. That humanity that was just like us, except he never committed a sin. 
but he was just like us. And rather, St. Paul says he, he made himself lower than us. He made himself a slave <coughs> by taking on our sins so that later the Father would glorify him. Later he would be glorified on his own as well. The, the whole Trinity working together in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his glorification in heaven that we will someday see, hopefully God willing, and, and be a part of. So getting back to John Eldridge, he wrote this book, Beautiful Outlaw, talking about Jesus's humanity and how we got to get to know that guy, that guy that was a real man who lived a real life. And that guy, if we read the Gospels closely, he was funny. He was, he's a good man. He was, of course, he's a good man. He's Jesus. But I mean, he wasn't just going around preaching, although that was part of his life. That was a very important part of his life. He wasn't just making sacrifices at all times, although he did that. But he had friends. He had a sense of humor. In the book, Beautiful Outlaw, it talks about how we get to know the true heart of the Father through the humanity of Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis even said, there's no humor in hell. There's no laughter in hell. God, however, is funny. God is humorous. God is fun. God is joyful. There's a joy that he wants us to experience. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, according to St. Paul. So in that book, he says, let's look at some other things that give us an insight into the mind of God, the heart of God. And he uses the example of a polar bear. He says, watch the polar bear. God made this polar bear. He only lives on instinct, right? Polar bears don't have an intellect like you and I do. So he's living, this polar bear, he or she is living on instinct. Put in that bear by God. There's no original sin in the bear. And what does the bear do? If you go to the zoo and you watch the polar bears, they climb up, they slide down. They climb up, they slide down, sometimes on their stomach, sometimes on their back, sometimes feet first. They climb up and they slide down. It gives us an insight into the fact that God wants us to play. God wants us to be like children. Jesus says it himself. Children are trusting children can play because they don't have anxiety. I get so upset when I am working with children and they express that they have anxiety because somewhere along the way they got it in their heads, maybe from their parents, maybe from media, maybe from their teachers, whatever, that, oh, you're going to have to fix the world one day, or you're going to have to get really good grades or else you're going to end up homeless or something like that. When in reality, children should be allowed to play. Of course, they have to study too. That's true. But they should be growing in trust. Trust in their father. Trust also in their families and their loved ones that God put in their lives. So why am I talking about polar bears and all this kind of stuff? Because the glory of God is man fully alive. And while this means our salvation, it also means God reveals his glory in the gifts that he's given us. It's also in creation. In John Eldridge's book, he talks about birds just singing their song. And that gives glory to God. A lot of saints talk about that. When the sun rises and it sets, that gives glory to God. When the oceans rage, 
that gives glory to God. I'm pretty sure what I'm saying is in Scripture. When the fish swim, they're giving glory to God. When I swim, I love to get myself in good enough shape that I'm able to do a mile swim in the ocean. <clears throat> I didn't do one last year. I certainly couldn't do one now because I'm not feeling that great. But in midsummer, I like, I want to do it. I want to do a mile swim in the ocean. People think I'm crazy. I'm getting older. There might be sharks out there. Who knows? But I feel when I'm out there and it's, you can't even see the beach. You're so far out and you're just swimming. I feel like I'm giving God so much glory because I'm using this body he's given me. I'm using this creation he's given us and I'm glorifying him and what I'm doing. Another thing, when I sing or even just public speaking, my public speaking is, is largely based on, well, I call it the, the art of the schmooze. I'm able to schmooze a little bit and make things up as I go. But also, I read a lot of books. When I read, I'm giving glory to God. When I speak what I've learned, I'm giving glory to God, especially when it's about him. When I sing, once again, especially when it's about him, it gives him glory. But even when it's not about him, he gave me this voice. He gave us the arts. He gave us people like Mozart and Bach. Why? And I'm thinking of a horrible joke. I'm not going to tell it. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, anyway, I, I'll be Bach. Anyway, all right. There's a whole joke there. I'm not going to say it. Anyway, I know I've already said the punchline. When I tell jokes, I'm giving glory to God. Jesus said things that were humorous. Nathaniel, what good can come from Nazareth? Jesus immediately says, oh, there's no duplicity in this one. Even though he didn't even actually hear him say it, but he knew he said it. God the Father revealed it to him. When Jesus says camel going through the eye of the needle, that's actually referring to something. And it's a funny thing that he's referring to camels making all kinds of noise because they're pushed through this real tiny gate and they have to be squeezed and pushed and pulled and they make all kinds of camel noises. He says, that's just like you people when you can't let go of your riches. You're like that camel that makes all that noise is so embarrassing. When Peter says seven times, and Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. There's humor in that. And there's other places as well. I know Jesus didn't say this in the gospel. It's actually said in Revelation, but in Mel Gibson's movie, he has Jesus say it to Mary while he's on the way of the cross. Look, mother, I have made all things new. Jesus isn't, tell, you know, he's not using slapstick comedy at that moment. It's not appropriate. He's, he's getting ready to die on the cross. But he's hurting. He's in pain. And it's a moment, it's a lot of hope going back and forth between the heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary. And humor is part of that hope. And Jesus says to his mother something funny. It's not meant like laughter, like slapstick laughter kind of funny, but still there's humor in the statement. And it's Jesus showing his mother. What's, what's not being said in that moment is, mother, we got this. Mother, it's going to be okay. Mother, I love you, and I know you're suffering. Hang in there with me. Let's get through this together. It's going to be okay. But what are his actual words? Something completely ironic. Look, mother, I have made all things new while he's bleeding and lying on the ground. Yet, theologically, there's see, there's so many levels here. Theologically, Jesus is saying something that's 100% correct, completely correct, very profound. By my shedding of my blood, I am renewing the world. I am renewing the human race. I am bringing about salvation. So we need to continue to show God's glory in who we are and what we do. 
realize everything that we're good at, everything that we have, every all the gifts that we possess, they're for the glory of God, and we should enjoy using our gifts for the glory of God. We should enjoy doing those things that God made us to do. And then on top of that, then there's the work of the Spirit working through us. God with his grace and with my students preparing for confirmation, we keep talking about this. I hope they're taking it in that with the gift of the Holy Spirit, as long as you're going to church and you're in the state of grace, then God can build on all the stuff that we're doing for his glory. God can make it so that when we sing, we're actually touching hearts. When we teach, we're touching hearts. When we raise our kids and our grandkids, we're touching hearts. Think about Joseph Cupertino. He flew in his prayer and that he loved Jesus and Mary so much he would go into ecstasy. And then what did God do with him? It's, I was trying to think, what are the greatest miracles ever? Padre Pio is another one. Padre Pio appeared in the sky. St. Joseph Cupertino in his body flew up into the sky. This is what God can do. He does different things with each one of us, but God wants to use his glory for us. He wants us to see his glory. He wants us to experience the glory. I've been to prayer meetings where a person leading the meeting says, God, show us your glory. This is also in the Bible. And you know, sometimes in these meetings, people prophesied things they wouldn't have otherwise known. People touched other people that were sick and healed them. God was doing the healing, of course. That's God answering the prayer. Show me your glory. We have every right to say that to the Lord. Lord, show us your glory. As we hear this gospel today, realize this is for us. The Lord wants to show us his glory. The Lord wants to use us for his glory. The life of man is the vision of God, and man fully alive is the glory of God. Let's allow the Lord today and the rest of our lives to show his glory through us. Have a great day. God bless. Mm -hmm.